Good morning, Austin Oaks Church family. Trust you, you know, polite to say good morning back. Let's try that again. Good morning, church. Beautiful day. Love it. Name is Brandon Ziski, the lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. I want to say good morning to all of you who are watching us online. Thank you again for allowing us to come into your home. And also, good morning to all of you outside there in the courtyard. Um, glad to have you all here. And just a little bit about me as we just get into the text this morning is our heartbeat, not about me, but our church, our heartbeat here at Austin Oaks Church is to be simply about Jesus. Because he alone changes everything. He alone is the solution to everything. And he alone is everything that our hearts are longing for and looking for. And that's why we do what we do here at Austin Oaks Church to help people to meet, know, and follow Jesus. Now, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, in February, we launched out into the series called Intentional, Not Accidental. And we were beginning to lay out what we believed at that time was the vision that the Lord was giving the church, um, something to be heading towards in 2025. And we began to roll out the, the talks and the messages, and we we're building up for the Commitment Sunday and asking for everybody to engage in this. And then it was the Sunday before everything changed, before that Sunday, COVID came, and we were told to no longer have church service. And I remember at that moment being the, being the lead pastor just going, what's happening? We got this great vision. We spent so much time on it. We've been praying about it. We're excited about it. And all of a sudden, things sort of felt like they changed, like the rug was ripped up underneath our feet. I don't know about you if you experienced anything like that back in February either. We pivoted just like everybody else did as a church. You know, we lived in a time at that, back then when tensions were high, questions were asked and left unanswered. Church shut its doors on Sunday mornings, but yet a unique opportunity arose. Church was invited into many, many, many homes from all over the place. And at that time, I remember personally for me, wrestling with the Lord about the vision. Like, Lord, like, what are you doing? Like, what do you want us to be about now? Looking back over the past year, I've come to realize and relearn a bunch of things about myself, about leadership, about pastoring, and about the church. I've come to learn and to appreciate even more the potential that lies within the church. I've come to learn and to become very aware how we sometimes can easily get so accustomed and so comfortable with certain methods and ways of doing church. For instance, a Sunday morning gathering. Just because that was taken away, that didn't mean like church all of a sudden went on pause and the mission of God was over for a week or for a year. And all of a sudden at some point when COVID kind of takes its place, we'll finally start to resume. No, it has always been moving. I've learned that beautiful proverb that a man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. I don't know about you, but I'm sure I'm still feeling that one. I don't know if you felt that, but I think it's important for us as a church to understand that, that the church may make her plans, but the Lord still directs her steps because Jesus is the head of the church and the church is ultimately the body. But not only that, this past year, and I'm just going to be vulnerable with you, this last year, a lot of things were exposed in my life. It's almost as if COVID created a unique opportunity for God to show me blind spots in my life, areas of insecurity in my life, areas where there's pride in my life. I've even developed some bad habits, which I know none of you did in the last year either. 
I mean, there were so many things that God had me to wrestle, like wanted me to wrestle with, specifically thinking about being a preacher, right? Preaching to a camera and no longer to a group of people. I didn't realize the insecurities that I would have in that moment. Do I feel affected speaking to a camera? Is it all about numbers? Is it all about people's responses? Am I trying to please the Lord? Am I trying to please man? Even all the questions I started to have about being a lead pastor. Do we even have a church anymore? What's it going to look like? Where are people? What's going to happen financially? Like all of those things that God had to deal with my heart and I'm thankful that he did. I had to confess these sins. I had to lay these sins down at Jesus' feet because my pride and my insecurities oftentimes want to make it about me, but it's not about me. It will never be about me. And I don't want it to ever be about me. This past year should have, and it definitely did, reveal a lot of things, weak spots in our lives, fault lines in our lives, blind spots in our lives, as much as it did in the church. It really was the perfect storm that revealed all of these areas of weakness and brokenness in our lives. Within one year, I mean, if you think about it, all of the things that we had to wrestle with, all of the things that we had to struggle with, COVID attacking our health and our sense of security, upheaval economically, cultural tensions and wars and a political mess, social issues, isolated from community and relationships, seeing addictions go up on the rise. Also, more and more people are more and more addicted to the screens because that was our only means of relating at that time. And we are shaped and formed by people's opinions and tweets and polarizing statements. And now, we got to be asking ourselves the question, what do we do now? How does the church respond now? What should the church look like now? And I don't know about you, but for me, it became glaringly obvious that it felt like the moral condition of our culture just seemed to be plunging down even more at a greater rate. It's been in our face because we're always connected to something And friends, I hope that you've all seen it and you all felt it and have become to realize it more now than ever that the emerging generations, the millennials, the Ys and the Zs and whatever other letter or label there is for these generations, they're being shaped by culture. And they will be the ones who will be shaping culture. And we've said it before in this church that the younger generations are the most unreached generation ever. Last February... I shared with you a study, a report on the condition of the church from 2019 to that time in 2020, and it began to predict what would probably happen in the state of the church by the end of the year. Now, that was all pre-COVID. Now, let's think about that. It was before COVID even showed up on the scene. And I wanted to share with you some of these numbers. At that time, in January 2020, they were predicting by the end of the year that another 55,000 churches would close their doors that the average attendance of those who attend church on a weekend would drop from 17% to 14%. And guess what? COVID hit. And I'm willing to bet that the numbers, and somebody will do this study, that the numbers were worse than what they predicted. And at that time, from 2019 to 2020, only 20% of all churches in America were growing. And out of that 20% growth, 95% of that growth came from people going from one church to another church, either because they shut the doors or because they were looking for something that would fit their needs better. 
4% of church growth came from people just checking it out. What is church like? What is Jesus about? And only 1% of all church growth came from people placing their faith in Jesus. Now, I get it. Numbers are just numbers. But they paint a picture. And I ask myself the question, what must we do as a church now? This past year, the state of the church and everything that's happened in our world really took these numbers and just showed it to us in our face. And as heavy as this weighs on my heart and as much as it saddens me, I'm telling you that as a pastor, it excites me as a follower of Jesus. It excites me, not because of the present state, but because it's reminding us of the great work and opportunity that we have as a church. It is now the time to shine like stars. It is now the time to be the salt in a, in a decomposing world and culture. To be the light in what feels like a suffocating darkness. This is a beautiful opportunity to not just talk about the vision, to not just talk about Jesus, and not just talk about what we could be, but it's actually time to put boots on the ground and actually start living this out. Because church, the reality is we are losing a generation. It's time for the church to return back to the ways of Jesus, to repent as needed and repent as where needed, to listen again first and foremost to the words of Jesus instead of other talking heads and other social media platforms, to pray like it matters, to be renewed by his word, to follow him and to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. And that's why... This Sunday and next Sunday, we are focusing on specifically what does it mean to be simply all about Jesus? Not about methods, not about tactics. Not about things that are sentimental to us. Not about our preferences within a church. Because what we experienced a year ago, they can all be removed just like that. But the mission of God doesn't change. We are called and we ought to be passionate and obsessed with Jesus and the mandate that he gave the church to make disciples who make disciples regardless. So the question that I want to ask you is what does God want to see happen in our church and through our church this season, this month, this year? So a year ago, we had a vision. We had a plan. But God changed it. He refined it and retuned it. And I'm telling you, he made it clear to not just me, but to our leadership and our staff. And we are all in on it. This is where God is taking us. And we want to invite you to join us in this, to be all in with us in this. And where we're going is the statement this, and I'm going to unpack this in the days to come. But we want to be the movement to see Austin, Texas saturated with the gospel. Because that is the power of God for all who believe. By developing disciples so that the emerging generations will be captivated by Jesus. We want to see lives change. We want to see a significant impact on the younger generations. And hear me, church, we need every generation to reach the next generation. 
So this morning and next Sunday, as we talk about simply Jesus, what I want to lean in is a certain aspect of this vision that talks about being captivated by Jesus, what it means to worship him in spirit and in truth. So as we continue, I want to pray because I want to make sure that you hear God's heart and not my words. I want you to hear him in his word this morning. Lord, I ask that this, this time, you would help us lower our guard in our hearts so that we can hear you. Lord, I pray that there would be conviction, conviction of sin, of grace. Lord, show us the areas where we're ripe with potential. Show us the areas where we need to wake up and to take this call to follow you seriously. You didn't come to condemn the world, but you came to save the world. God, so I ask that in this time, we would understand that, we would be reminded of that, but also that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to talk to you about potential for a moment. So yesterday I was running on the treadmill in my garage for some dumb reason. It was beautiful out and I have trails around me. I don't know why I chose to run in the garage and, you know, not outside. But nonetheless, as I was on the treadmill, um, in front of me is a shelving unit. And on there, on the top, I could see a package of fireworks that I must have stored a few years ago. And I knew exactly what those fireworks were. They were um, awesome fireworks. That's all I'm going to say. Like they were amazing. They would do really sweet things. But like as I sat there and I was running, I was thinking about this. It's like they're just wasted sitting there. Like you can't experience the awesomeness of those fireworks unless there's something that triggered it, unless there was some sort of flame that got to the wick that would take that potential and unleash it. And then we could all experience the potential and the beauty and the awesomeness of that firework. Now, as lame as that illustration is, and I know it's lame, that's what I want us to think about in the church. The church is so full of potential. There's so much beauty and so much good and so many awesome things that can happen in and through the church. But unless we, you and I, trigger that potential by faith through Jesus, it just sits there as great opportunities, as wasted potential. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I wrestle with that, like, I don't get why people just don't see the beauty and the goodness of God. And I oftentimes ask and wonder, like, what do people see when they look at the church? Do they see the power of God? Do they see the love of Christ? Or do, do they just see a gathering of people who just come in on a Sunday and do just some weird things? The church is so full of potential. We talked about this like at Easter where Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And Paul tells us in Ephesians that we, because Jesus resides in us through the power of his spirit, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of us. So that means there's a lot of energy in this room. There's a lot of power in this room, not to go all new age on you, but like there's power here. But it's just potential unless we trigger it by faith. Faith in Jesus Faith in his word. 
And what I want to encourage you and challenge you is to think about this, that it's faith in Jesus that becomes the sole catalyst to unleash the potential in the church. For the church to wake up, for people to see and know and follow Jesus. When the church chooses to be all in, when the church chooses to live by faith, Jesus moves in powerful ways. Lives are changed. Homes are forever transformed. Communities are changed. Schools and businesses and governments feel the influence of salt and light. But in order for that to be realized, there's really three things that we got to recognize. There are three things that we have to, for lack of better words, pull the trigger on by faith to see happen within the church. And all centers around worship. It all centers around worship. So this morning, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 29 through 31. And I know as you hear that, if you're familiar with the scriptures, you're like, that's a lot of passages right there. We're never getting on here. Don't worry, I'm not going to read it all. Okay, I want us to look at certain principles and certain things that God always does. That when God's people respond this way, God responds a certain way. What we're going to do is we're going to take our cues from the story of King Hezekiah. So I'm going to start out by reading 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 1 through 2. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. And if we were to jump to chapter 31, the last two verses of 31, it says that Hezekiah, what he did throughout Judea, and he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God in accordance with the law and the commandments. In other words, everything that we're going to see that Hezekiah did came right out of Scripture. He applied his faith to what God said and acted on it. Seeking his God, he did with all his heart and he prospered. Hezekiah was a king who did what was right. He obeyed God's word. He placed his faith in God's ways. He put his faith in everything that he said and wanted to see God do in his heart, in his life, and in the nation. And so he started to do some massive reforms, started to bring the nation back from drifting away from God. And his father was King Ahaz. And you can read about Ahaz in the previous chapter, but he was a wicked king. He wasn't a great role model for Hezekiah. He was a king who basically was disobedient. He shut the doors of the temple and committed all sorts of idolatry, false worship, and committed the nation to drift away from God as well. Hezekiah noticed this and also felt it personally and probably even saw it in the younger generations and how they were living. Hezekiah saw what life could be like. He saw what the nation of Israel could be like and how they were wasting their God-given potential to be the people of God, to be used by God, to be blessed by God. So Hezekiah dared to believe in God's word. He put his faith in God's word and took the courage to act on it. And what we're going to see are principles that when God's people choose to do these three things, it seems as if God causes an awakening within his church. And that's the first point I want to highlight here, is that an awakening happens when God's people 
revolve around the worship of God. When they come back to the heart of worship. And we see this immediately in verse 3 of chapter 29. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, in other words, that's like saying his very first thing he did when he took office. Like this was what he did on day one. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. That is a very powerful verse. Essentially what he's doing is is he's opening up the doors for the nation to come and worship God again. Like, I love this because it also kind of gives us like a slight feel as to what we're kind of experiencing today in the church where we're being able to come back together and worship in community. But this is so much bigger than that. In this picture, what we see and are reminded of, it was the importance of the temple. The temple was where God's presence was. It's the temple where God said, like, listen, if you call upon my name and you humble yourself and you pray, I will hear you. But there's a contingency on that, or not contingency, there's, there's like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A condition. Thank you. Awesome. Man, you got my notes? There's a condition on that of being obedient to him and living righteous before him. That's where God's presence was. Like what other nation is there that their God dwells in their midst? This is where they would offer the sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins and give their offerings and worship. Day one, he opened the door to restore worship. Hezekiah did the very opposite thing that his dad did. He closed the doors, set up altars all over the place, which was a symbol that God is no longer the center of my life. The whole nation was drifting away from the worship of God. They forgot what God has done. They forgot the story. They forgot who they were and what their identity was. He's no longer important. We're going to do what we want to do and worship what we want to worship when we want to worship. But Hezekiah, he opened the doors and he repaired them. This is a powerful picture of saying, we are going to be worshiping you alone, God, again. Whatever it takes. Because once those doors were open, once we start to dig into our hearts and open up the doors to our heart to God, I guarantee you we're going to start to discover some filth in there. Worship. It is such an important part of what we do. Worship is not just 20 minutes in a worship service where we sing. That's an expression of worship. That's where we're able to sing our hearts and connect at a powerful level emotionally, spiritually, objectively. But all of life for the believer is worship. Everything we do, we do it unto the Lord. Our whole life is to be a life of worship laid on the altar. If I die, I die to the Lord. If I live, I live to the Lord. The life I live, I live by faith. Everything we do. And he's a jealous God. He won't compete with other gods. It's all or none. You can't worship God in mammon. You can't worship God in in money. You can't worship God in sex. You can't worship God in this. You could fill in that blank with anything in your life. And I have to wonder... Have we slipped into idolatry at all the past year? 
as we have been isolated. And I know some of us, let's just be honest, there's no condemnation here. There's no judging that maybe our spiritual passion or spiritual fervor or even our time in the Word is kind of just taking a back seat. We got ourselves so wrapped up and so concerned with all of the things in the world that we forgot the power of Jesus. This is the time for us, church, to open the doors of our heart again to say, Jesus, I want you here. I'm going to make you the center of everything because regardless, you are the center of everything and I want my life to revolve around you. The Father looks for those who worship in spirit and truth. That's what Jesus taught the woman at the well in John 4. In spirit, meaning that there's a heart-to-heart connection. There's an emotional um, layer to worship. It's not just an intellectual exercise. It's not just a bunch of things that we just do. There's a relational component where we turn our face to him. And his spirit speaks with our spirit. As Paul says in Romans, like his, the spirit inside of us testifies and witnesses that we are sons and daughters of God. But we just don't worship apart from truth. All of our faith is founded in truth, in God's word. And Jesus was the word. It's, a, it's not an either or. It's a both and. So all of our life is supposed to be connected in these two realms of worship. But there's something that happens when we open the doors to our heart again. In fact, I'm going to even make the case of saying like, it's something that has to happen regularly in our lives when we worship. Repentance. Confession. I don't always like to dig into my heart because I know it's there. Do you have a closet in your house that's just full of junk? That one spot you're like, this is my junk closet. Just stay there. Don't go in there. Like when you have guests coming over, you don't like thoroughly clean the house. You just throw everything in that closet. That's my truck. The truck that's out there with all the garbage in the back, that's me. And that's what we see happening next is that as they opened the doors of the temple, they discovered cobwebs, filth, idolatry, all sorts of things. Look what he does in verse 4 of 29. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth. That's a strong word. And carry out the filth from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what is evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces. Like you hear that. It's like they've turned away from worshiping you alone from the habitation of the Lord and they turn their backs and then he goes into verse 10 and 11. He's like, he reveals to him a little bit about his heart. He's like, listen, like it's in my heart to make a covenant to the Lord. Like this is what I'm going to be about. The God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not now be negligent. Don't take this matter lightly. Don't just like skip through this or spend like one second on it. No, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence. That's a picture of worship, to minister to him and to be his ministers and make offerings to him. 
He's saying, listen, as we come to worship, we have to consecrate ourselves. In other words, like we don't make ourselves holy. He does that, but we have to do the job of confession and repenting and removing the things. Be set apart as holy like you are to be altogether different. You are to serve God on behalf of people. You're a nation of priests. Like for us in the New Testament, if you believe in Jesus, you are the priesthood. We are to be set apart as holy. To not be conformed to the ways of the world. To be salt and light. To stand apart. To be in the world, but not of it. I'm telling you, you cannot come and worship Jesus for who he is and not feel the tension of needing to repent. He's a holy God. And his eyes are too holy to look upon sin, as it says in Hebrews and Habakkuk. And I want you to hear this, because I've heard this, I don't know how many times this past year, that if... That if America, if the government would get right, revival would happen. Nope. If they would change, if they did this, and if our younger generations would do this, and if our school systems were right, and if that would write, oh, then revival would break out and there would be an awakening in the church. Nope. Anytime there's a revival or an awakening in the church, it always starts in the house of God. It always starts with his own children. Because we drift away and we worship all sorts of things and we fail to remember that we're supposed to be a priesthood of God, to be set apart as holy and to show people Jesus instead of our opinions and our preferences and our judgments. We are to be people who worship him in spirit and truth. And if we do that, we should become like him and love others and love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and mock us and ridicule us and all sorts of things. When we come into the presence of God, we experience his holiness and that has to confront us. Like we start to see our sin and if we don't deal with that, how can we truly worship him? How can we truly experience the joy of the Lord if we never experienced the forgiveness of the Lord? How can we understand God's grace if we've never been forgiven, if we don't keep repenting? Can I, can I make a, like a, I don't think this is an opinion. I think this is my observation and my hypothesis. But I think one of the reasons why Worship in the church is impotent. Unrealized potential is because we don't do the work of repentance. We start to go, well, church was okay. We critique church on the sermon. The sermon was bad. Was God's word talked about? Is God's word bad? I didn't like that song. I didn't feel worship. What do you mean you didn't feel it? I didn't feel it. I didn't, I didn't like, I don't like Matt Redman. I'd rather just sing Elevation. I'd rather just sing Harvest Bible, Vertical Worship. 
I'd rather sing this genre or that genre and this and that and that. That's not worship. That's idolatry. Where in the Bible does Jesus say like, oh, worship is contingent upon your emotions? It's because we don't deal with repentance. And that's why we judge and we do that is because we're just deflecting because we don't want to deal with our hearts. We don't want to open that door and see the filth inside. We'd rather just be like, I didn't like it. I'm going to go to a different church. And then you go to that church, guess what you do? You do the same thing. Revival happens in the church. Repentance is an act of worship. It's not a one-time deal. It's an act of worship that we continually do. We keep producing fruit in worship. Even Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 7, that like we are to be self-controlled and sober-minded, right? Like we're supposed to be doing that for the sake of our prayers. And he wants all people to come to repentance. Repentance is an act of worship. Don't be negligent in this. Go at it. Dig into it. Don't be passive. What would happen if the church reflected Psalm 51? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Can you imagine what worship would be like? How we would live if we understood this and lived this and felt this. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you may justify in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in sin and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be water snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. That posture changes how we worship. Are we broken over the sin in our lives? What idols maybe God has revealed in your life that we have allowed to creep in this past year? Sinful thoughts and attitudes. Sneaky little judgmental thoughts that we have towards other people. Maybe it's laziness. Maybe it's greed. Maybe serving fear instead of faith. Neglecting God's word. Neglecting meeting together in community. Maybe it's those addictions and hidden secret bitterness things that are in there that are just eating us away. Not forgiving people. Repentance is an act of worship. And oh, I wish I had the time. But when we center, Je- center ourselves on worshiping Jesus, as we open the doors to our heart, we discover there's filth there, and we confess and repent of that, and we receive his forgiveness. And what we would see in this passage, and I encourage you to dig into it, is that then God's people, again, center on the gospel. They live and breathe the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God for all who believe. We're not ashamed of the gospel 
We're not focused on everything else. We're focused on the fact that God sent his son to this world to show us the father, to show the lost that there is hope and there is a way and that you don't have to be under the burden of sin and death anymore because he conquered it. If we could be that as the church instead of focusing over everything else, we would shine like stars. We would lift up the name of Jesus and he would begin to draw people to himself. Friends, that's an awakening. And they did that by celebrating the Passover, which is a picture of what Jesus accomplished for us. This morning, we get a beautiful, joyful opportunity and privilege to remember the gospel. We're going to celebrate communion together. A communion is a time when believers remember what Jesus has done. That he took our sin upon himself. He paid our price in full. He eliminated the debt that held us captive. He freed us, no longer slaves to sin nor death, and now we have a living hope because he died on the cross. He was the appropriation of our sin, the propitiation for our sins. He took on the wrath of God so that now we just experience God's favor. Grace, freely given, no conditions. You receive it as a gift by faith. We come and remember that it was his body that was broken and his blood that was shed that saved us. And as we celebrate communion, we also are very mindful that we are declaring the gospel and that there's people outside of these walls that need to hear about Jesus. As Paul challenges us, is like, how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear if no one goes and tells them? How beautiful are the feet? of those who bring good news. As we celebrate communion, we're going to give you a moment just to pray and ask the Lord to search your heart. And if you need to, pull up on your phone Psalm 51. Read through that psalm. Ask the Lord if there's something immediately that comes to mind that you need to confess, something you need to repent of. And I know we don't have the adequate time to really do with heart work here, but God can pull something up. I want to encourage you to prepare your heart, to be mindful. Maybe this is the time when we confess we've drifted. Or maybe fell back into an addiction. Or maybe haven't been as loving to our spouse as we ought to have been or our children. Maybe we've tried to worship Jesus in other things. Caught in lies, greed. Allow this to be the time Jesus tells us through John in 1 John 1, 9 that he is faithful 
and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So Lord, I ask that you would use this time to speak and minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name.